Let's go. You're listening to Making Data Simple, where we make the world of data effortless, relevant, and yes, even fun. Hi, folks. You're here. Making Data Simple podcast, Al Martin speaking. Let's just jump right in. Today, I have a returning guest, uh, Lynn Sneed, that I got to say, first off, to be on this podcast like three times takes over a year. And that's when I host a podcast, at least one a week. And Lynn is on her third time, though I guess you could say the first recording was in two parts. I don't know how to say this. I guess this is part two, but the third recording. But Lynn is back. And we are going to talk about leadership, business coaching. We're going to talk about a whole bunch of stuff. And some of you are going to say, well, that's not making data simple. I would say, heck, yes, it is. You know, great leaders have coaches. Great coaches use data to help coach. And even if not, we're going to have some fun today. Uh, But before I get to Lynn, the topic of today set by our famous producer, Kate Main, is Debunking leadership myths. You can't learn and measure leadership skills, a.k.a. taking the squishy out of soft. Kate, jump in now and tell me what the hell that means. Uh, Al, I am so glad you asked. Thank you for that. So (laughs) with that kind of introduction, how can it go wrong? So basically, I I have so benefited from learning from the leaders around me, you, Lynn, others I've worked with. And we really have this ongoing discussion about the skills that are involved in leadership. You often hear about um, what got you here won't get you there. So that's kind of a a future statement. And Lynn can talk a little bit more about that. But basically, I was really interested in understanding how we can have that discussion around what skills are necessary for leadership. And are they hard skills or are they soft skills? Which is more important and further, how can I develop these? Because we're thinking about 2021, right? At the time we are recording this, it's towards the end of the year. And I want to transition into 2021 goal setting. How can I improve my leadership ability? How can I use data to do that? Data is driven from skills. Which are the skills that I need to continue to improve and why? Lynn was so generous as to get on with us once again, and I'm looking forward to hearing the rest of the conversation. But that's how we got to the hard skills versus soft skills. And the squishy out of soft is really, uh, Lynn and I were briefing on this ahead of this recording, and that is about understanding what really defines a quote unquote soft skill as opposed to a hard skill and getting clarity around that topic. Thanks, Al. Yeah, Kate, see, I was trying to put you on the spot and you do a fabulous job, of course, as always. Thank you. And by the way, thank you to Steve Templeton, who does the editing, et cetera, in the background. Very much appreciated. Lynn, welcome back. How are you? It's a treat to be back. And it's certainly a, uh, well, gosh, it's just a fun thing to do, but it's it's an honor to be asked back a third time. I feel like a a proud record holder. Well, I got something for you. Here, Here, listen to this. Listen to this. Oh, I love it. Welcome back, Cotter. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You knew it, didn't you? I bet all the millennials listening have no idea. I bet they have no idea. (laughs) (laughs) Do you ever watch that show? Of course. And, you know, talking about speaking about millennials and other generations, they forget that 
you know, in, in sometimes our ageist world that with our age does come some background and experience that comes in pretty handy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's called wisdom. I got it. That's called hey, uh, wisdom. <laughs> <laughs> Folks, if you're listening, you haven't listened to Lynn. She's been on two previous podcasts. I don't know the numbers, but please go take a look in our uh, our queue. But if you wouldn't mind still, uh, Lynn, go ahead and restate your bio just for, for those that haven't listened to those other ones, but I'm sure they're going to. Oh, goodness. I started my career many years ago with some people out there may be familiar with Franklin Covey Company. And I started when it was Franklin Institute, before it was Franklin Quest, before it was Franklin Covey. Uh, In fact, I was employee number 86. And uh, many years later, I became a vice president uh, with uh, what was soon to become Franklin Covey Company. By then, there were about 5,000 employees. I spent 20 years in that organization. I fondly refer to that as my 20-year undergraduate program. I had the honor of working with people like Hiram Smith, Dick Winwood, Stephen R. Covey, that's Stephen Covey Sr., Stephen M. R. Covey, who was one of my greatest mentors of all time. That's uh, Stephen Jr., Uh, Stephen Jr., Mm -hmm. of course, wrote Speed of Trust, and Stephen Sr. wrote Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. I was so privileged to have mentors as bosses, peers, coworkers for that many years, training and teaching programs that were uh, in the training world, considered clearly some of of the best and, and, and still are. Uh, I started my own organization in 2003. I became fascinated working with uh, individuals. My specialty had been project management. And what I was seeing over and over again is that uh, someone went to work with good individual skills, uh, subject matter expertise of some kind. And after their expertise was recognized, they'd be suddenly promoted into a project management position. Well, they didn't necessarily know what it meant to be a project manager or to be a leader, uh, to have teams of people working for them, especially, by the way, the challenge with project managers, you've got people working for you who don't really work for you. You're not really their boss. Uh, you're responsible for something without necessarily the advantage of, uh, of being the boss. And I found myself doing a lot of coaching and loving it. So I went back to school, got a graduate degree in corporate coaching. Started my own business in 2003, found a line of assessments, uh, highly proven, highly validated assessments for uh, recognizing skills, measuring skills, taking, I like to refer to it as taking the squishy out of soft. I think soft skills have gotten a bad rap. We can measure these things. Measuring means we've got data on our individual skills and anything we can measure, you know, we can improve. Uh, And that's been the work that I've done now for the last many, many years is coaching, working with clients, uh, both individual and in a corporate setting. I I don't do much corporate business anymore. I'm focusing on on private clients, but helping with data to help people understand their skill strengths, uh, maximize those strengths, uh, get some of the liabilities out of the way uh, and have fun tapping into the strengths that they many times didn't know they had. And that's what I do for fun. <laughs> Sounds like a full day's work. So look, so let's jump right in. Kate kind of mentioned it. 
Uh, we're ending 2020, the infamous. It may be a race from history. I'm not sure. I think most people would say, boy, I we wish would, we just kind of skipped right over. Yeah, we would like to erase it from history if we could. <laughs> well, I was thinking about the other day, and you know, there are a few people that I think had a good year. I was th- in Kansas City here. We have the Chiefs, you know, football team, for those of you outside of the U.S., and we've got a uh, quarterback. He had a good year. He won a Super Bowl got a $500 million contract, got married, has a kid on the way, is in every commercial under the planet. Outside of him, I think we're all ready just to race it and get on with 2021. (laughs) Well, you know, and and that's a really good point because it's been a very different experience, of course, for all of us. It's been a very individualized experience. But it has dramatically affected all of us, I think, in some way, some more than others. But I don't think anybody escaped the nuances of 2020 unscathed. Yeah, I, I don't think so either. One way or another. One way or another. One way or it's another. It's crazy. Yeah. So let's jump into soft skills versus hard skills. I guess we should start with the definition and then go from there. Okay. I And this is a, a topic of conversation I love partly because I hate the term soft skills so much. I think, I think really- you know, I do too, because for some reason, when somebody says soft skills, I can tell you when I'm working with my team or, uh, you know, worked with my team over, it's like the first reaction is I don't need those. Exactly. You know, I got those. Exactly. Well, you know, maybe it's because we think we don't need them. Maybe it's just because we think those are, are just less important. Let's face it. In most cases, hard skills are the skills that got you hired. Those are the skills that got you the job that you currently have. And the soft skills in our minds come later. And the reality is when you look at the fact that a high, a very high uh, percentage of people do not survive a job position, a new position or a promotion more than 18 months. And the reason is classified as a lack of soft skills. Now, If anybody has done any investigation in the cost of turnover, now, you know, let's set aside the personal cost of you just lost your job. Let's look at the monumental uh, and quantifiable amount of money for an organization to now have to go replace and get a new person up and running. Uh, the impact on the team, the morale, the clients. uh, And by the way, we can place dollars to all those figures. And the amount is astronomical. And it's often not taken seriously by organizations. There's nothing soft about that. There is absolutely nothing soft about numbers that are that high and issues that are this important. So I really like to to change the language a bit. I like to refer to these as professional work skills. The more you go up the rank in an organization from your subject matter expertise that brought you in in the first place and you move into a leadership position, well, that is a whole different skill set. Now you're leading others. You have to influence others. You're doing some conceptual thinking, strategic planning, uh, certainly influencing uh, conflict management. That's not a favorite for a lot of people. And suddenly, you know, after the promotion, sort of comes the gasp, (laughs) although silent and private, but the gasp of, oh, my gosh, 
ah, do I have the skills of a leader? And if, if I don't, how do I get them? Uh, I think there's also a myth around, you know, you're either born a leader or you're not. Certainly some people are born with sort of some natural tendencies uh, that lend themselves well to leadership. But no, it, leadership isn't something that's determined at birth. And there's so much people can do to improve those skills that they need to add as they climb and especially good leadership skills. But it, it's a study. It, it takes time. It takes commitment. It takes some, you know, digging in. And, and I think the goal setting part, this is what was so important about what Kate said is we're facing 2021. Uh, let's set some goals. Let's take a look at our current skills and what we need to do, especially perhaps to adapt to our new work world and set some goals for 2021 to help improve these skills. So a couple comments here. One thing I often do, maybe it's short-sighted, but I've said leadership equals influence. You know where I got that from? I bet yes. you got that from Stephen Covey Sr. No, very close. I got it from Maxwell. John oh, Maxwell. John Maxwell. Okay. My other, my, one of my other absolute favorite. I can't recommend his material, his books enough. Okay. Yeah. I mean, he, I mean it's really, Absol really good. And he talks about influence and the influencers. I mean, you can be a bad leader or a good leader. It's typically dependent on influence. That's but right. to your point, I think leadership is a practice. I mean, you, it's like yes. anything else. You got to practice. And I think, you know, as I was younger, speaking of the wisdom we talked about, you know, I thought, you know, look, I don't need to read these books. I've got it. You either got it or you don't, to your <laughs> earlier point. I've learned that, uh, boy, it takes a lot of work because, you you know, it's, it's almost like politics. There's multiple ways to think about something. You got to know what the person in front of you thinks and feels about something and culture comes in. It's complex is the bottom line. Yes. But backing up for a second, I want to talk about that, too, but backing up. You say you don't like the name soft skills. What is the name you like? Most of the time we'll use the term professional work skills. Now, a lot of times these tie to leadership uh, and they tie to emotional intelligence, uh, fondly referred to as EQ instead of IQ. We used to think years ago that the most important uh, thing that determined our success in our career was determined very early in our life in the form of, of IQ our intellectual quotient. And what they find now is that the majority uh, of the time, a heavy majority of the time, success as a leader is determined by EQ, emotional intelligence. And so many times uh, there's a crossover between uh, these professional work skills, leadership skills, and emotional intelligence and social intelligence skills. So on the soft skill part, we're talking like people skills, influencing, handling uh, performance, performance issues, getting people to perform at a capability they don't think they're capable of, at least in the current sitting. Hard skills being where you got your degree, the fact that maybe you can, you can code, maybe that you got a certification, uh, those kind of things, like you said earlier, that you get hired for that put you in the job only to then face all the soft skills that complement and help you uh, be successful in said position. Well stated. All right, I got it. I you listen well. <laughs> you do. 
Just kind of an interesting question. I just wanted to ask. Just to get your opinion. You deal with a lot of people. You're working with a lot of business coaching, etc. Would seem that you know even certain business environments actually lend themselves to oppressing soft skills. I mean, in other words, you want to make decisions. Everybody tries to make it as binary as possible. I think organizations can be guilty of that just as well. And you can fall into that trap. You know, the more empathy you give, which is something that I'm a huge believer in and transparent. Some of those words that I just went through is like Brene Brown stuff. Very hard for people to do. And I think sometimes culture even pushes them to be resolute, to be stern, to come with a solution, black or white. I mean, it, it seems like we got a lot of a lot of things working against us in terms of having balance between hard and professional skills. Well, you just touched upon something here, Al, that I think is critical, and that is this intersection between skills and culture. And Culture is a loaded word. If you look up, if you Google on culture, there's, I don't know how many million responses and they're all actually a little bit unique. So the reality is we can't even clearly define what we mean when we say culture. When I use the term culture, and I use a lot because I talk about this a lot, but I, I clarify to simplify. When I talk about culture, I'm talking about how do we feel when we go to work? And how do we feel when we come home from work? Well, you know, what was the environment at work and how did that environment act upon us? You know, do I come home feeling like I am, I can't even tell you how tickled I am to have this job and to work with the people that I have the honor to work with? Or do I come home sort of grumpy, grumbly, irritable, taking it out on the family because my workplace sucks. <laughs> and, you know, that's, that, that's a simple way to define culture is how does it feel? How are people treated? How people are treated as a group? To me, that's culture. The larger an organization becomes, the more difficult it is to maintain a culture that was an intentional culture. And think about it as an organization grows and boy, I've sure been through this myself going from a company of 86 people to a company of over 5,000 uh, at one time, at least every single person that is hired in that organization somehow impacts the culture of that organization, either positive, neutral, or negative. How do you change culture or can you, can you really change culture? And I mean, you've seen some of the challenges from your history and Franklin Covey and, and elsewhere. I mean, can you change the culture or do you manage within it? What do you do? Well, and that's an important question. You know, I, I had the luxury of the experience of working for Franklin Covey, but really the experience that was so beneficial to me is as a trainer and as a consultant, I was on airplanes pretty much all the time. And I was in and out of more organizations in that 20 years and the, and the years since than I can count. And it was fascinating, Al, to realize uh, after doing that, when I would go, I would be spending two to three days training a group of 20 to 30 people in project management, asking them at the very beginning of a class, why projects fail in their organization and, and seeing the answers that they put up on the, the white sheets. 
And Mm -hmm. you'd be amazed at what I could learn about an organization in that first few hours. It was incredible. It was almost like taking the temperature on an organization the way the way a doctor could take a temperature on a person. I could feel it walking in the door, what the culture was, you know, was there fear? Was there excitement? Was there enthusiasm? Was there fear? <laughs> and you can feel that stuff. Can you change it? Many times, I, th- I think the greatest success at changing a culture that I've experienced came at a team level. And yes, you can change it as an organization, but boy, that's a, that's a big act to accomplish. But at a team level, I've seen cultures change dramatically and quickly with some skills. When I go in and I have the opportunity to use the assessments that I use, and it's a mixture of of various assessments, but if I have an opportunity to see the behavioral styles of the people in a team and I can help them understand the language of behavioral styles and the behavioral styles of each other, I see improvement immediately. I can see people who formerly had a hard time working with each other go, oh, now I get you. You're strong at uh, strengths that I don't have, but now I see how I can collaborate with you instead of button heads with you. And I can I see that at a team level all the time. So I do believe cultures can change. Uh, I, I don't necessarily believe all cultures can change. I've had an experience where I could see within a team that there was fear that was palpable and finding out who the bullies were on the team and getting them out the door was what was necessary to change the culture. And then the the culture changed immediately. So sometimes it's pretty dramatic stuff, but yes, they can change. So drill down, if you will, on some of the, I think you're onto something and you've convinced me of this around behavioral styles, understanding, and I kind of alluded to this earlier in the discussion where you understand who's sitting across the desk from you. And, you know, that comes with, you know, some of the DISC uh, surveys, assessments that you can take to understand your style and then understand other individual style and find that sometimes it's just baked within their DNA that they're going to act a certain way. It's not like they're ignoring you. They got so much going on in their head. They're, you know, they're like me. They got ADD or something. They're looking at something and my wife will say something to me. And I'm like, uh, what? Um, I didn't even hear anything. Uh, but I mean, I think that talks to the diversity that is needed in the workplace for ideas. I mean, I'll give you a couple examples. I face this every day. You know, I, I have a, g- a global organization and, um, on the West, we are so contract driven. It's got to be on paper. It's got to be lined up. It's got to be signed off on or you're not getting it delivered. On the East, I mean, that paper is meaningless. Like if you go to Japan, China, etc., you know, it's all about what was said in that handshake. It matters right. not. Right. that The paper is just mm-hmm. some baloney that they're, they're signing for the most part. And then, mm-hmm. you know, they expect you to deliver on that handshake. Can you talk more about that? Because you do a lot of that with disc assessments, et cetera. Well, I'm really glad you brought that up because that's a favorite subject of mine. DISC, and some of you are probably very familiar with it, of, of when we use an assessment package, there's multiple assessments within the package. We don't just look at one. 
because we're so complex, we really need to look at multiple angles of who we are and how we work and our preferred style, our preferred communication, where where our strengths are going to be because of that preferred style, as well as the skills uh, based on experience, you know, based on other things. So it's a combination. The basic assessment that I run is actually about 49 different factors. Only 12 of those factors relate to DISC. But DISC is one of the most powerful in the workplace because it's, uh, it's, I mean, it's got a little bit of a learning curve to it, but really a very little learning curve. DISC is short for, it's four different scales. I like to think of it as four scales that go from zero to 100. D is dominance. That's how we respond to problems and challenges. The I is influencing. What's our style of influencing another person? S is steadiness. Do we like things fast and tense? Do we multitask or do we prefer a very steady, stable pace? And the C is for compliance, which is how we deal with rules, policies, and procedures. And when you look at a disk graph, it's four color. It, at a glance, you can look at at a chart and go, oh, okay, now I see that person's preferred style in these four different areas. And that tells me a ton, that tells me so much about what's important to them, what they see, what they don't see, what they tend not to pay attention to, how they would like me to speak with them, to work with them, what kind of work they would like to do and hence be good at what kind of work they would not like to do and hence not be good at. So much of job performance is simply a matter of getting the right people into the right jobs. I love when I have an opportunity to coach someone, in the very beginning, I like to ask them, write down what you think of as, as your top 10 strengths at work. And it's so much fun to hear people's response to that. And I've had one person actually try to hit 10 and I think he got eight or nine, but most people look at me and go, you're kidding, right? You know, I might be able to think of two or three, but truly most people kind of stumble when they hit three. And when I put their assessment in front of them and it has a list of 25 ranked uh, skills, and this is separate from the disc assessment, many times they're astonished to recognize they had skills that they either didn't recognize it as a skill because they figured if they were good at it, everybody was good at it, or they didn't have the terminology for it, or, or they just hadn't recognized it in themselves. And, and so learning what our strengths are and how to more fully utilize them. But as soon as we start to pay attention to that, we realize different people have different strengths and we start to look at, well, what, is the, what are the strengths of this other person? Uh, what's even more fun is to ask a leader to describe the top strengths to me of everyone on their team. <laughs> the beauty in that is if if you can make a semi-accurate assessment, you can use individuals to their strengths and you can formulate a, a cohesive team by giving them you know, items within their strength to, to champion. It makes them happier too from a morale. Exactly, exactly. And Al, if all we did was to align our people to their strengths in their roles, we wouldn't have to do much else. We wouldn't have to micromanage. We wouldn't have to watch over them because when you align people to their strengths, most people want to go to work and do a good job. And when they like what they do, they do a good job. Kind of that simple. 
I was just going to say that this concept is common in sports. Al, remember the recording we did with Nancy around Moneyball and analytics in sports? It's very clear that we look to fill different skills on different teams, but I don't know that that thought process has permeated as much into different business cultures. But it is so powerful, Lynn, I agree with you, when you get somebody that is in a role that matches their skills, they show up happy and willing and go to work. Yeah, no, I think we're guilty of it. I mean, somebody will perform well in a certain way and you say, oh, if they did that, they can just do this over here, something completely out of their uh, sweet spot. And then we wonder why things went south when had we just put them in a position that fits their strengths and their interest within those strengths, we would have killed it. I I agree with you. There needs to be more work done here. I think it goes back to what you said, uh, Lynn, is that uh, when people look at this as this is a bad word, but you know, this is the, the point being is they look at it as like fluff or, you know, it's, it's not needed. I mean, everybody has, you either got it or you don't. And you know, the, the real stuff you should be focused on is the hard skills, you know, whether you can code in AI or, you know, AI or whatever, and they miss this whole equation, which is um, the catalyst. You know, I could say that it's the catalyst to success. Hey, there's one thing that I got to tell you though, having familiarity with disc, is that there's one improvement I would make. And that is, you know, it's dominance, influencing, steadiness, and compliance. And the way it, the, the reports that I've seen are always horizontal. And, you know, they're, you're either up on the top or the bottom. And speaking of culture or just the way we look at things, I don't know how many times I have to explain that either side is fine. There's right. no right or wrong right. answer. But everybody says, I must be doing something wrong because it's below the line instead of above the line. No, 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 no. That's not how it works. I wish it was like side by side or something. Well, actually, believe it or not, we're working on that. We actually have a new model out that has flipped disk from a vertical chart, you know, up and down zero to 100 to a horizontal chart. And we're, we're testing that right now to see how that goes, which is, of course, what we've done with the second part of the assessment, which is driving forces. Those are motivators. And we have switched that to a horizontal. And it's, it's just what you said. These are style assessments. There's no good or bad, right or wrong. This is how we're wired. And by the time we're about eight years old, that's pretty well set. I thought we'd be going to horizontal to vertical because the horizontal makes it appear that there's something above the line and below the line. Well, but the, maybe we're the, just talking. When you look at your assessment, for example, on page 14, your disk descriptors, it's in four columns. Yeah. So you can see the difference yeah. between a high D and a low D, you know, a high, I, low. The mistake that people make if I don't drill this in, and I'm, I think I'm pretty good at drilling this in over and over again, is low in this case doesn't mean bad. Think of it almost like a seesaw. It's just, you know, do you lean this way or do you lean that way? So we never look at a score on disc and say, oh, gosh, you know, you really need some coaching around that because we need to raise that score. That is not how DISC works. It's not how driving forces works because those are motivators and that's baked in. But the third part of the assessment, that's a ranked list of 25 skills. And that's also where the fit is important because we want to make sure that the skills, the match that we're looking for is between the person and the job. Is this person strong in the skills that this particular job requires. 
everybody looks at number 25 and you know everybody wants to know what's my poorest score well first of all everybody has a number 25 i don't care who you are and how good your scores are but you mean because, just for the listeners 25 being the last one right so you want right. we, we always it, go to oh what am i doing badly right and what, what do exactly I need? exactly and the thing that i like to to help people understand is the difference between a weakness and a liability I may have number 25 as my weakest score, but if it doesn't apply to my job, so what and who cares? I don't need that. If, however, I've just been promoted, you know, let's say my number 25 is leadership and I've just been promoted into a leadership position. Well, <laughs> now having a coach is a great thing because I need some help in really stepping up my study and learning of leadership and improving that score. That third part of that assessment, we, our trimetrics has three assessments in one, and that's why it's such a, a, an excellent holistic view. But that's where we want to improve scores if it pertains to our job. All right, Lynn, I'm going to wrap up. This has been fantastic. Thanks always to Kate and to Steve. You're doing the, uh, the hard work behind the scenes. And thanks to our listeners. And as always, you can reach out to almartintalksdata at gmail.com. We will uh, read those comments, questions, suggestions, and act accordingly. Thanks. Be safe. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Making Data Simple podcast, where we make data fun. Be sure to visit ibmbigdatahub.com forward slash podcast to access the show notes and uncover even more great episodes. Remember, the views expressed here are those of the host and its guests and do not necessarily represent the views of IBM. Until next time, let's go over and out. Oh.